Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, with your WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back to talk all things WWE. We're talking SmackDown, we're talking Raw, we're breaking down everything as we're just a couple of weeks out from WWE Elimination Chamber as the road to WrestleMania 37 is full steam ahead. We have a loaded show today and a loaded week here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast because not only are we talking WWE today, but coming up later this week, the Silver King sat down one-on-one with former May Young Classic winner, former NXT UK champion and one of the competitors in this Sunday's NXT TakeOver Vengeance Day pay-per-view, none other than Tony Storm. So the Silver King will speak with Tony later this week. The Silver King will also offer an ultimate preview of NXT TakeOver Vengeance Day. And before the week is out, he will talk AEW Dynamite as well, coming out of a very good beach break show last week but we're not here today to talk nxt or aew we're here to talk wwe and to do that i am welcoming in my co-host none other than vintage chris vanini chris nfl the football it's over we have a little bit of a reprieve chris when i started this show 11 months ago and you joined me very soon after there was no football and life despite the pandemic was relatively easy I feel a weight taken off of my shoulders now that we have college football on the back burner, that we have NFL in the rearview window. I wasn't thrilled about the Super Bowl and how how it turned out personally. Uh, But I can now focus a little bit more energy uh, on the world of professional wrestling. I think it's gearing up for just the right time. Yeah, trying to navigate football and pro wrestling was was like uh, being Patrick Mahomes trying to dodge that uh, Tampa Bay defensive line. Uh, Not an exciting Super Bowl, but... We got a Super Bowl. Didn't know that. Didn't think that would yeah. happen. And now <laughs> the NFL didn't have to cancel a game. They had to move games. You know, we didn't know what the heck to expect when when we first started this um, way back when. And now we're we're back to where we started. And things are, I think, a lot more optimistic this time around. Yeah, we got a Super Bowl. We're getting a WrestleMania in front of fans. I mean, it's actually happening two nights at the in the same stadium where the yep. Super Bowl was held, uh, the home stadium of the Tampa Bay. Buccaneers logo, basically the same. They switched out the flag for the skull uh, and they're just trying to redo what we didn't get last year. But we are on that road to WrestleMania. And before we talk about it today, a quick reminder, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. It's where we release every new show that gets published. We talk about wrestling live during the four major programs, plus all pay-per-views. And look, we just banter and, and send up some funny clips and stuff. All the time you saw one of them late Monday night, if you were already following us at Getting Overcast. Also, a reminder from Finn Balor today. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King, Vintage, and the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Go to Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star rating and review. Let us know how much you love this damn show. 2021 is the year of growth for the Getting Over wrestling podcast. I mean that in every possible way. So uh, we want to be in your ear holes and we want to be at the top of the charts. And the best way we can do that is through word of mouth on the Apple podcast app and from you telling your friends 
and family. But enough of an intro today, Chris. Let's slide into the main event. And the main event is seemingly owned these days by Roman Reigns, the tribal chief who has set his sights on WrestleMania. Over on SmackDown this past Friday, WWE piped in heavy you suck chance as Reigns moved on from Kevin Owens and said Edge must be next because Edge wants to be in the main event of WrestleMania. He said Edge was disrespecting him by wasting time going to Raw and NXT when he should be begging to fight Reigns. Paul Heyman broke the fourth wall a little bit, demanded that WWE run Edge's entrance music, but he wasn't anywhere to be found. He wasn't in the arena yet, which made Reigns even matter, that Edge was just treating him like a fool and playing games. Reigns gave Edge an ultimatum to decide by the end of the night. Edge showed up later in the show and had a chat backstage with Shinsuke Nakamura. That was the scene setter. Edge was in the last segment of the show, and he grabbed the mic and he said he dreamed of a lot of things while he was out, including main eventing WrestleMania and returning to his show, SmackDown. Just as Edge got going, Reigns' music hit, Jey Uso was pacing in the ring, Edge called out Reigns for needing backup, so Reigns told Jay to hit the bricks. Uh, Reigns demanded to be acknowledged as the main event of WrestleMania and ultimately Edge's choice. Edge took two steps back, and Kevin Owens came out of nowhere with a stunner as SmackDown went off the air, and Edge was smug and smirking, looking down at Reigns. So Chris, considering how exceptionally strong Reigns went after Edge, I am going to stick by my thought from last week. They are 100% going to be the WrestleMania match. I thought this was a great way to stall the decision. And it was a damn fine piece of booking, considering KO obviously wants retribution on Reigns. They have the natural Canadian alignment between Edge and KO. The Reigns stuff at the beginning of the show was a tad boring. But by the time this all played out at the end of the show, I thought the entire thing was exceptional. I mean, I, I like the rain stuff at the beginning. I, I mean, where he, he yelled out, stop playing games with me. Like that quickly became a meme on, on Twitter on Friday night of people using it in all sorts of different situations. And then, yeah, it was it was pretty hot about Roman and Edge. And, you know, I didn't think it was going to happen. I, I said, I think it's going to be Edge and, and McIntyre. But the way it set up on Friday, I was thinking... Well, I think it's it's got to be. How, how are they going to get out of this moment here? And then, boom, there's KO with the stunner. I love that he just walked away. Yeah. Very cool. Very, just a very cool way he did that. And Edge just kind of slyly just like, all right, I'm out of here. And and so this is hard to say because we're only a couple months away from WrestleMania. But I feel like maybe they don't know what they want to do. I do think either way, whether they do or don't know, Dragging it out is the right decision, especially since they have two pay-per-views still to go. There was no reason to do it so quickly. I like that Edge went to NXT, and, and he's 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 building everybody up wherever he goes. And I think that's a good thing to do. I think it's a good thing to keep doing for a little bit. So I'm not going to say it's going to be Edge versus Roman. If 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 I had to if I had to bet, I, I still think it wouldn't. But I'm cool with not knowing and not not really thinking where they're going to go because that's exciting. That's fun. It's fun when we don't know what's going to happen and we still have, we still have quite a bit of time and I'm excited to see what they do with it because I've liked it so far. I'm cool with not knowing, but it seems completely obvious to me. I mean, there is zero momentum, not 0.0, .0 but there is zero momentum toward Edge and McIntyre 
where Roman and Edge, you can't have them in the ring interacting like that and not wind up with the match. In fact, if you were to rank them in terms of what, where, where does the, where does Edge's decision have the most momentum facing it right now? I would say SmackDown is one, meaning Roman Reigns is one. Finn Balor in the NXT titles, two. And Drew McIntyre is three. They don't give a shit about Edge over on Raw. Like, it's just, to me, blatantly obvious. And we'll talk about a little bit later why that's the case. But it is just so much stronger on the SmackDown side. And I got to say, I think WWE is making a massive miscalculation. I said this a little bit last week, but Edge is not the draw that a John Cena or The Rock or... Brock Lesnar even, maybe, some of these other guys. It's not that he's not well-liked and, and that people don't like him being on their TV. I love Edge being on my TV. But I don't think he appeals to the casual fan the way WWE thinks he might. Where last year I hated the Goldberg booking, right? But at least it made sense what they were trying to do. They wanted Roman Reigns in a marquee match with Goldberg at WrestleMania. I don't feel like Edge is really that A-level star where you say, oh my God, I can't believe Roman Reigns is going to fight Edge. I have to make sure I watch WrestleMania this year. I think, you know, Edge versus McIntyre would have been totally fine. And as I've said numerous times, the correct booking was Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan. And they're just kind of flushing that away. So I'm not downplaying this because I loved the Roman Reigns-Edge interaction. I think if they end up at WrestleMania like I expect they will, it's going to bang and it will be a great match and I will love it. But in terms of the momentum and the excitement for the show, I don't really think Edge versus Reigns gives you that. Again, what are they actually going to feud over? Who does the spear better? Like, I, I don't I don't feel like I actually care about it, even though I anticipate it'll be good television. Right, That that's where it kind of, that's where we try to think of everything. Okay, if they are going to do Roman versus Edge, then what are they going to do with Drew McIntyre? And we'll get into the Raw. We'll get into bit. that, yeah. We'll get into it in a minute. But Roman got me excited for the idea of a Roman-Edge match. And yes, me too. I, I wasn't that into it. So, you know, you're right. The momentum is trending toward that now. Uh, we'll have to see what the full Elimination Chamber plans are. But... Roman got me excited for the match. I agree that Edge is not the John Cena type of draw. That's why I also think it's good that Edge is putting everybody over everywhere he goes. Damian Priest, NXT, Finn Balor, right. just everybody. He's trying to build everybody up. And I think that's it's very helpful. That's something we don't get with a Goldberg coming back. You know, like, like it, it, at least this is, I think, I think Edge being there is helping the current uh, wrestlers in, in a way that sometimes these part-time situations in the past have not. Yeah, it's a rising tide lifts all boats scenario. And and he is doing that. His presence is helping others. And that's fantastic. That's exactly what the purpose of veteran wrestlers yep. should be, especially guys. I mean, we say he's not full time. He is full time. I mean, well, he yeah. apparently is going to be appearing on TV every week and had planned to do that uh, prior to getting injured again. So, you know, I say not full time, but what I mean is a veteran guy who if they were doing house shows right now, would not be on house shows, right? A, right. a guy with a limited schedule, which is what Edge normally would be if we were not in the middle of a global pandemic. Now, before we do talk about Elimination Chamber and Raw, which is going to be the end of our main event, I just want to stay with Edge because we are talking about him here. Edge did appear on Raw as well and said he won't decide his WrestleMania opponent 
until after Elimination Chamber due to the raw booking, which we will end up talking about a little bit later. The Miz came out to scare Edge with the Money in the Bank briefcase. Edge got pissed and went off <laughs> with an absolutely incredible promo. And if you know the Silver King, you know the Silver King taped it for you. I'm the guy who put that Money in the Bank briefcase on the map. I know a thing or two about the Money in the Bank. I know that at WrestleMania, as soon as I raise that championship over my head, I need eyes in the back of my head. But in case I forgot, you just reminded me. I'm out here as the master manipulator keeping three world champions on high alert, and you just told me what you're going to do? You need to worry about the chamber. You definitely need to worry about Damian Priest. Hell, you need to worry about Bad Bunny. See, I'm out here playing high-stakes poker. You're playing old maid. There are fundamental differences with the way we think. I think at a different level than you. You're content with being awesome. I'm not. Did that 20 years ago. You want to talk about being champion? Well, I need to see this story through. I need to be champion. Notice the difference? That's an early promo of the year contender. Yeah. I just have to say, it was fantastic. I thought... Not that it was really his fault, but it's very difficult every single week to kind of come out and say, hey, guys, I don't know who I'm going to pick. Right. And that's what I largely felt he did Monday, Wednesday and Friday last week. There were bright spots in between, but it almost felt like he was kind of just going through the motions a little bit. Even earlier on Monday night at the beginning, that first half of his promo, it was meandering and just kind of slow and low energy. But when this hit and he got the ability to just tear Miz apart, I said, that's the edge I want to see. So combine that with the end of SmackDown. And I definitely am excited that Edge is getting this opportunity. And again, I do think he was the right, well, not the right, my number two choice to be the Royal Rumble winner. I'm just a little concerned about the direction. That's all. I, I'll, I'll say this about Edge promos. He just, it feels different. And it, it feels different when he's talking compared to, Almost anybody else on the roster. Ro- Roman Reigns is, is different, but it, it just it feels like he's talking like a normal person. Like, like yeah, I don't know. Totally. If, I don't know if they're scripting anything for him or if they're just letting him do whatever he wants. Obviously, he's a, a veteran who's been around for a long time. He's got acting chops um, that, that I'm, I'm sure have paid off as well. So it just it stuck out there like Miz is a character and he kind of has to be sarcastic. And that's kind of the deal. But just whenever the la- over the last SmackDown and Raw, just whenever Edge hit the screen, whenever he cuts a promo, he just talks in a different style than everybody else. And, and uh, you know, I just I hope it's something that WWE sees and, and kind of lets, you know, as, as we often talk about with scripted promos, is kind of let these guys and girls uh, kind of work things out themselves and just talk like normal people because it makes a big difference. It's night and day. I mean, when The Miz can cut a promo on Talking Smack, yes. you know, back in the day, the one against Daniel Bryan, you're like, man, this guy can really talk. When he's doing his shtick with John, it's not that it's bad per se, but it's just like, it's formulaic and it's repetitive and it's just, you know, you want a little bit more. That's why John Moxley in AEW is so refreshing to people. It's, this guy always had the talent and the ability, but the ability to, or the freedom, I should say, to just sit down and talk sometimes. It's why... A lot of wrestlers I've interviewed come across better in the interview than they do in their promos. Like you'll hear Apollo Crews just kind of talk 
and be himself. And you're like, damn, Apollo Cruz is pretty cool. Or Alistair Black, when I interviewed him, you're like, man, Alistair Black's a pretty cool dude. You don't necessarily get that because the promos are filled with all these scripted lines that WWE wants you to give. They're not scripting Edge. They generally, or at least primarily, do not script Randy Orton. When these guys get the opportunity to sit down in front of a camera or stand in front of a camera and talk, it makes a difference. And I think Edge made a huge difference with that promo on Monday night. So let's push forward and go to the women. Uh, the Women's Royal Rumble winner, Bianca Belair, who on SmackDown spoke backstage and in the ring about her Royal Rumble victory. They showed really funny footage. I had seen it before of her parents celebrating her dad, like falling backwards over the couch when she won. It was really cool <laughs> yeah. and touching to kind of see them get so excited about that. Bianca Belair, by the way, a former, I hate to kind of bring it up, but a star track and field athlete at the University of Tennessee, a Tennessee volunteer. Uh, if she went to Florida, maybe she would have actually been in the Olympics. But well, she went to three school. different SEC schools. I think she went to South Carolina and Texas A&M too oh. for, for ending up at uh, at, uh, at Tennessee. The, the deal is you go to you go play for the Gators, you wind up in the Olympics. But that's okay. She's in WWE, and I still get to see her, so it's all good. Uh, we, but we, she was, we, we need a Titus we need a Titus O'Neil Bianca Belair face off at some point. Me do, and she would probably kick his ass. But uh, Belair was full babyface in her promos on SmackDown, putting over Oscar and Sasha Banks saying that she'll make a choice soon. Reginald interrupted her in the ring and was pretty weak on the mic. And it didn't really make sense what he was saying. He was just saying, hey, Bianca, you can't beat Sasha Banks. It's like, all right, but you represent Carmella. So why do you even, why are you even saying that? Then Carmella came out separately and said she could beat Bel Air. Then Banks music finally hits, the person we want to see. And she puts over Bel Air really strong, except for her claim at being the best. Banks said Bel Air had it all except the SmackDown Women's Championship. And I thought that was a strong finish to the segment. Reginald butted in again and again said Belair would lose for no reason, it seems. I don't know why he's talking about Banks again when he's with Carmella. Okay, if, he I, had, if, if he had said something along the lines of, if, if Carmella can't even beat Sasha, then you can't either. And that way you're putting up Carmella, meaning that Carmella's better than you. Okay, but he didn't say that. He just kept saying, you can't beat Sasha. Yeah, Why? I, I think the point he was he didn't make the point, but I think what he's trying is he doesn't want Bianca Belair to basically jump Carmella as in line to face Sasha. He wants he never Bianca, said that. Though. I know. I know. So bad. I, I'm just saying, I think the point of it, he, he, he didn't get this across. But I think the idea is, hey, Bianca, go fight Oscar, go to Raw because Carmella wants Sasha and it doesn't yeah. want somebody else to be in the mix here to take the belt off of Sasha. That, that's my guess. I, it would make sense. Be like, like you know, if Carmella feels like she's getting jumped in line as a number one contender, even though she's you know lost a bunch of matches to her, I, I think yeah. that's the idea that they were trying to do. They didn't explain that well, but that was the sense I got g gathered from what they were trying to say. Well, Belair beats the hell out of him with her braid. Carmella just stood there, kind of laughing at him. the The truth is, the segment did not need Reginald or Carmella. At all. Banks and Belair alone would have gotten the job done with Carmella later challenging Belair if that's what they wanted to do. The Banks and Belair portion was strong. It's obviously, at least in my opinion, the match that we want to see. And I have a DM from Adam McMonagle at Adam Mc314 who said it was the best Sasha promo in a long time. She actually sounded like a normal person talking. And, and that is. It's a fair criticism for her normally, but it was her best promo in a while. And I think it's because she and Bianca were comfortable kind of going head to head like that. So I think it was equally successful 
and a bit of a failure. It was overbooked. And on SmackDown these days, you don't usually get things that are overbooked. You, they should have found a different way to insert Carmella if they want Belair to beat Carmella before she faces Sasha. But to me, and we'll compare it with what happened on Raw momentarily. I want to let you get in. It's the match. I mean, I don't know how you go any other direction than Banks and Belair. Right. That, that's my guess. I, I, I'm guessing they want to draw it out a little bit longer, um, kind of like Edge, and, and, and make it seem like it's possible other things could happen because you know they mentioned Bianca on Raw. So I, I think they want to do that, and having Carmella in there, you know, kind of makes it a little less obvious. Maybe Carmella, Bianca, at some point. So they'll get there. I think they're right that Sasha Bianca was a great back and forth. And this comes after weeks of us really not liking the, the Sasha Carmella back and forths. And it's like, it's a little bit different. Like Sasha and Carmella kept talking to each other about like who was better looking, I guess was, was they, they were kind of playing the same character while Sasha Bianca is who's the better athlete who's the better champion just who's the best at the wrestling and, and and so i think it comes off a little bit better for sasha when she's doing stuff like that as opposed to talking about champagne and, and everything that they were doing with the, the, the carmella but it's a little bit different but it's actually in the right direction it comes off a lot better i think for sasha and her character and what they're trying to do yeah i agree with that so belair over on raw she put over uh oscar really strong and saying she's unstoppable Asuka said Belair winning the Royal Rumble doesn't mean she's ready for Asuka. I just don't see much of a reason for them to run this match. I also think it was telling that it was a short backstage segment on Raw, considering she then got, she being Bianca Belair, got two segments on SmackDown, one backstage and then another in the ring. I actually criticized it at first because, look, Edge was on all three shows last week. Mm -hmm. Belair, you don't see her until SmackDown. Then they finally let her show up on Raw also, but she basically got like two and a half segments total edge got over the same amount of time four long segments on television. I mean, I know that edge is edge. I get that, but they got to treat Bel Air in a similar fashion. Now I probably wouldn't have her go to NXT because the women's division is so stacked and there are so many competitors and challengers already there. They have a pay-per-view, as I said, vengeance day, uh, this upcoming Sunday, so there's a lot more in flux there. But I think Bel Air should be on Raw and SmackDown every single week until a decision is made. Yep. I, I think um, we don't really know, I guess, on the women's side, what's going to happen with the Elimination Chamber yet, really, as, as far as I can tell. So we kind of got to see how it plays out. This one seems a lot more, like I said, this seems a lot more obvious. It, it, Sasha Bianca is the match. It's the money match. Could be a main event. It won't be, but it could be. Uh, and... So I, I think you got to I'm fine with holding it off a little bit, but I don't think you can drag it out too much. While the one with Edge, I think you can go a bit longer. I think that's probably the right direction. So let's move over to Raw and talk about the main storyline. Uh, Drew McIntyre will defend his WWE championship in Elimination Chamber in two weeks. Now, I just want to clarify before we get started here. I hated um, nearly everything about this entire thing. So, you know, while I will have criticized uh, some individual points with the Roman Reigns Edge thing and the Bianca Belair booking, I just, th- I thought this was pitiful and really a paradigm of everything that is wrong with raw booking. So 
let's get underway and I'll try to get you in as much as I possibly can uh, within my rant, Chris. But Shane McMahon opens Raw, which was a nice surprise for me. I like Shane and good on WWE for not announcing it early. They're giving people a surprise at the start of the show. But all he did was prompt Adam Pearce to announce that McIntyre will defend the WWE Championship in Elimination Chamber against all former WWE champions, Randy Orton, Jeff Hardy, AJ Styles, The Miz, and Sheamus. Again, the gimmick is they're all former WWE champions. McIntyre later told Shane as he was getting into his limo, he was surprised that he as the champion didn't get a heads up and figured he was going to fight Sheamus, which by the way, last week, I think they almost basically said is what was going to happen. But Shane just said, hey, look, this is a bigger match. And you know what? At that point, I kind of thought that was an okay explanation for why they went in this direction, even though it's clear, at least in my opinion, that WWE changed its plans. Pierce later told an infuriated Sheamus the same thing. All this did was 100% solidify for me that Edge is going to be picking reins and McIntyre is going to go in a different direction for WrestleMania. I think it's going to be Sheamus, but we can talk about that a little bit later. I have so many problems, Chris, with this booking. It's terrible, terrible (laughs) that they are including all former WWE champions for two reasons. One, it speaks to the obvious thing everyone criticizes about WWE, which is that it never lets fresh faces get opportunities in big spots. Okay, number two, they are not including Kofi Kingston, who just won the title two years ago. They easily could have built off the Kofi Kingston, Mustafa Ali story with Ali and Retribution taking Kofi out of the match. Like he gets in, they take him out, they injure him again. Ali replaces him in the match the same way Kofi did Ali two years ago. Or even if not, if you don't go in that direction, you don't tell that story. Kofi, who was just champion two years ago, totally deserves to be in it. But then you look at this field. Orton has lost to Drew three times. Four now, if you were to include the main event. But I mean, technically, I think he actually won via disqualification, but he can't beat Drew McIntyre is the point. So he's in the match. The Miz adds absolutely nothing. He already has money in the bank and he is one and ten in singles and triple threat matches since (laughs) since last year's Elimination Chamber. Jeff Hardy has been losing constantly and hasn't been champion in 13 years. Kingston, again, won the damn title two years ago. Where's the youth? Where's the diversity in this match? Not youth in terms of age, but freshness. There's no Keith Lee, no Riddle. Hell, there's no Braun Strowman. We're waiting for Andrade to come back. Maybe bring him back and put him in the Elimination Chamber match. And then, Chris, lastly, you have the fact that all of these guys just automatically got shots. They could have done qualifying matches on Raw for the next two weeks, giving people reasons to watch the damn show, which is struggling in ratings and which WWE does not promote week to week. Why not ensure that every former champion got qualifying matches and let some of these guys face off or maybe even lose to these younger opponents. Let Ali go and beat someone. Let Kofi go and beat someone, you know, or have Kofi and Ali in a qualifying match to get the opportunity for the Elimination Chamber. There are so many different things there they could have done. Instead, this was just given away. It was completely bland. And you got six 
old white dudes in Elimination Chamber. And to me, dude, that is not attractive and it is not an attractive main event for a pay-per-view. Yep, it was terrible up and down the board, 0.0. 0. 0. 0.0. It, it 100% reads like you said, that they were going to do Drew Sheamus, decided, no, nah, let's not do that, threw this together, and there are no storylines with it. Now, I know we're getting Keith Lee and, and some other people in the U.S. title match later, which we'll get to, but yeah, there was such an opportunity here. Like, think about, was it two years ago, that Elimination Chamber match that Kofi got into? Man, that was one of the most exciting Elimination Chamber matches ever because people got behind somebody. You felt like there could actually be a title change. You know, like, we all know the champion is almost never going to lose the belt in these situations in an Elimination Chamber match like that. So, like, man, like, I I love that Kofi Ali idea that you had. I I think that's a great idea they could have done. Put Kofi in it. He gets hurt. Ali replaces him in the match. Then it helps set up Ali versus Kofi for WrestleMania or something like that. Like, you got to tell stories in this Elimination Chamber match. Much like the Royal Rumble is meant to tell multiple stories kind of weaving together, that's what the Chamber should be. Instead, it's simply about... Drew McIntyre beating a bunch of champions, only two of which really kind of have a legitimate case to be in this match. Just a mess. Yeah, it, it's a real shame. It's it, it really feels like they just pulled the plug and decided to do something else at the last minute, and not this is just it's not good. Look, booking wrestling. I say this all the time. Booking wrestling is not easy. But it's not as hard as WWE makes it look, especially on Raw. Mostly here's Here's how you book the entire thing. McIntyre and Sheamus, they go head-to-head for the WWE title on the pay-per-view. It's a totally fine in-between feud for McIntyre. You've been building to it, telling a good story. It exploded. Boom, you have your match. Make this match, the Elimination Chamber match, for the number one contendership. And then after that, when Edge goes and picks Reigns, you say, okay, it ends up being for WrestleMania, right? That's how you do it, right? You keep Orton and Styles in the match because Styles is great. Orton, veteran, deserves it. He's been front and center this entire time. Maybe The Fiend gets involved and eliminates him or something like that. You add in Kofi Kingston, a WWE champion, Keith Lee, and you bring back Andrade, or you use Lashley or Riddle for that final spot. Any of those three. You have Ali gripe about Kofi getting the opportunity have him get injured on the go-home show by Ali and all of Retribution, and then Ali replaces him in the match. They force Adam Pierce to put Ali in the match. Now you have an early, easy early elimination in Ali because he's strong. You know he's not going to be fighting at WrestleMania. You can get him out right away. And a lot of intriguing potential WrestleMania options. Instead, this is just a time waster, at least in my opinion, for them to give us McIntyre and Sheamus, which is not in any way, a WrestleMania caliber WWE title booking. Yeah, Shamo, <laughs> I'm saying you're not a draw. This the match will be great. McIntyre, Sheamus, they'll tear the house down. That's big meaty men slapping meat all day. The booking of them is not. Yes, a hundred percent. In in like, it, it, I have been con- I've been convinced since. December, basically since when Goldberg came back, that they were going to re-set up Drew McIntyre to, to get his big WrestleMania moment in front of 
some major person, you know, in front of fans. And that that's why I thought it, that's why I knew he'd beat Goldberg. That's why I thought he would face and beat Edge. That's Sheamus, me too. Seamus yeah. is not going to do that for him. Like, like if that's what you're going to do at WrestleMania, like it, my only thought is maybe they end up deciding to main event uh, Sasha Bianca for one of those uh, on that night instead and go maybe with Roman on the Sunday. But like, that's what I would do. I, I, I mean, if, if that's what you're going to do, Seamus McIntyre is not your main event match. And I'm just, if that's what they do, it surprises me because they've, been doing nothing but building drew for a year and they've done a really good job at it i'm just really surprised i thought seamus drew would be a middle mid royal rumble wrestlemania feud to get drew onto something onto something bigger um you know we've we still got two pay-per-views ahead so so maybe something changes but now the direction does kind of feel like that and i'm just really surprised they could possibly roll with mcintyre and seamus at Fastlane, right but if they do that, then you you still don't have a WrestleMania opponent for Drew. And when you look at who's available, man, it is slim pickings. Like, I'm not saying these guys aren't talented, but you're not going to do Orton again. You're not going to do, I can't imagine them doing Braun Strowman. Okay. You're not uh, clearly going to do Kofi. Um, certainly the other people in this match, you know, AJ Styles, you could do, but I don't think it would tear the house down. Miz ain't getting it and Jeff Hardy ain't getting it considering the way they've been booked. So that's why I thought Edge, you know, we talked earlier about rising tides lifting all boats. I thought Edge would have been that for Drew McIntyre where Reigns is the rising tide for the other. If it's Daniel Bryan, you know, for example, or Shinsuke Nakamura, you don't necessarily need an A-side against Roman Reigns. He is the A-side. Drew still kind of needs a little help considering He's beaten everyone. If they had been building up to this for a long time and he did not face AJ Styles right away after winning the title and he had not already faced Randy Orton three times, then I could get there. The only person, Chris, who I think could be built up to the level where it would be a WrestleMania caliber match that would be worthy of main eventing the first night, because we know he's not main eventing the second night, is Bobby Lashley. He's, he's the only person who has been built so strong and dominant ever since losing to Drew. I think that was back in like May or June or something like Good that. Good match. He, great match. He's the only person who I think, if they took the United States Championship off him, which we'll talk about a little bit later, could be primed for that position. I, I just don't think Lashley would do anything for anybody. If WrestleMania is supposed to be when you get the most eyeballs and it's supposed to... I, I don't think it would help Drew. I think I wanted a Drew... Lashley I don't think, last summer. I yeah, but dude, but I don't. I think more than Sheamus. <laughs> I a mean, little bit, maybe. I don't know. I mean, Sheamus is the former world champion. He's been around for a while. People know who he is. But I, I, I mean, I guess it's very unlikely they bring. Look at Rock look at it this back. way: the the Hurt Lock is built up so strong, and Lashley has been built up so strong, and and candidly, well, her business has been built up so strong and successful that. This guy needing to overcome these obstacles after all his friends turn their backs on him and all this stuff. I don't know. I think it fits. Again, it, I'm not saying it would I'm not saying it would set ticket sales records or anything like that. I'm just simply saying it's better than McIntyre Sheamus. Or or maybe or maybe somehow they're gonna pull Brock Lesnar back in at the last minute. If they pull Brock in, then it makes sense. Yeah. If they pull Brock, if they pull Brock in, every booking makes sense. Edge and Reigns makes sense. You know, I, I still would go with Daniel Bryan, but okay. I would get why they would do that. 
And then you have Brock and Drew, and Drew McIntyre, but there is no indication of that whatsoever. Right. So who knows? All right. So uh, the main event of Raw was Drew, uh, Randy Orton actually defeating Drew McIntyre technically by disqualification, despite them facing off an elimination chamber one week after Orton again fought Edge for no reason. He again fought Drew McIntyre for no reason. WWE actually created a promo package, despite not advertising it before Monday, um, but they at least gave us some reason during the show to want to see it. McIntyre got up on Orton early, which led Sheamus out to the ring. Orton hit a draping DDT. McIntyre countered the RKO with the Future Shock DDT. Sheamus then entered, and McIntyre dodged a brogue kick that hit Orton. Uh, then he leveled Sheamus with a Claymore. So McIntyre lost via DQ. Orton now has reason to be pissed at Sheamus, but they're both heels now. Uh, there was some good wrestling in the match, but man, running this back did nothing for me at all. Just wanted to double check. This was not a title match, right? No. So why did Sheamus do that? Why Why did anything happen? On I, I, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, it doesn't make any Why does Raw exist <laughs> these days? It, it just it doesn't make any like, Why come in and interfere in a match that didn't mean anything? Like, honestly... Uh, credit to Raw for giving us back-to-back main event style matches and properly hyping them up throughout the show. They should have advertised them days beforehand and all kinds of stuff. And, and, you know, as we talk about that, but they're at least giving us, I think, main event quality main events on Raw, even if they don't, I don't, I don't expect much out of a Orton McIntyre Raw main event, but it's fine. I just don't understand why Sheamus is coming in and interfering. He's already got his elimination chamber match set up. I just, I, I, is, he's not, is he going to sit there and beat him down and try to wear him down for elimination chamber or something? Like you could try to tell that story. I just, it was, it, it just, it capped off the, the beginning of the show was weird and nonsense. And then the end, the show capped off with the same thing at the end. It, yeah, it really wasn't good. And you know, look, things can change. There's, I think what is it? One more raw, or two more raws? I don't even. I don't even know. My my brain is so yeah. Jumbled. One, one, one. So there's a there's a go home raw, and that explains maybe why they didn't do qualifying matches because you need a little bit more time to tell this story. But dude, like they 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 easily could have booked this better, even with McIntyre still in the chamber. It is incredibly frustrating that we put this much time into the product and your main storyline is rushed and changed and garbage and boring. And again, features six white dudes all going after the six older white dudes who have all been main eventers before going after the title on the road to WrestleMania when you have all these new young stars on Raw that need to get built up and need to get opportunity. Now, some of them are still getting opportunity, which is good. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But this is the opportunity you want. Elimination Chamber, the big match, not the secondary match, which is what's actually happening. To wrap up this segment, to wrap up the main event, since these are people that are going to be in the chamber match, right after those announcements, we had AJ Styles versus Jeff Hardy. My anger, true anger over Elimination Chamber distracted me, so I didn't write as many notes for this match. But Styles went after Hardy's leg early, injured it with a ring post. Hardy hit a twist of fate, but missed from the top rope. And Styles locked in the calf crusher for a submission win over Jeff Hardy. So Jeff Hardy gets announced for the Elimination Chamber and then loses for the 13th time in his past 17 singles or triple threat matches. He's 4-13 and in singles and triple threat matches since like September or something like that. We already talked about the Miz's 1-10 record 
But man, you don't even give Hardy a reason for being in this match. This guy's been feuding with Elias and Jackson Riker. If, if I wasn't already angry after the segment and who was announced, this got me even angrier. Yeah, it, it, it was like, and you know, we'll see what they do next week. Sometimes they do this where they have a elimination chamber or a Survivor Series or something, and they all wrestle each other going into the match. So then it's like, well, what are you building up? We just saw a bunch of people lose. Why am I excited that Jeff Hardy is in this elimination chamber? Well, match? dude, you know, you know the booking next week, right? You know the main event booking of Raw next week. What's that? It hasn't been announced. You know what it is. It's going to be a six-man tag team match yes. with yep. the three faces against the three heels ahead of Elimination Chamber. Yeah, yeah. And and then you're going to see, it's like, this is why- and the faces will win. The faces <laughs> will win. And then McIntyre and then McIntyre will eat a bro kick at the end. Th- this is why you do qualifying match, especially since they only, I, like they only had a short amount of time between the Rumble and Elimination Chamber. So that's why they throw this together. But you could have made almost an entire episode of Raw building toward Elimination Chamber by doing the matches. And that way, the people going into the match are coming off of wins instead of Jeff Hardy coming off of a loss and a 4-13 and 13 record. And it's just like, yeah, th- that doesn't... Jeff Hardy versus... Jeff Hardy tapping out to AJ Styles does not make me want to see AJ Styles no. versus Hardy in the chamber. They, they always, I don't get it. It's very easy. Even if you kept Drew in this, you do four qualifying matches this week on Raw, this past week. And then you do your fatal four-way second chance elimination match next week on Raw. You have two really good episodes with, with matches that actually matter and are building to something. Instead, we got a match that didn't matter at all because they're both already in the match that further, not, I'm not, I don't mean to say buried like he's buried, but didn't help Jeff Hardy at all. And then next week, you're just going to get your six man, or maybe it'll start as a singles match and become a six man through the magic of interference and run-ins. Um, but you're, then you're going to end up getting that. So instead of giving us five interesting matches where we get excited and we find out people that are qualifying, we get two really boring matches, three, I guess, really boring matches that do absolutely nothing because it's already decided on the front end. So Raw Elimination Chamber, I want you to go to hell. I'm looking for the sound effect I want while I'm wasting a little time. Abby knows what I'm talking about. You can yourself too. That's how I feel about the Raw Elimination Chamber match and my mic stand uh, just felt my anger because I nailed it. But all right, let's talk about everything else that happened on Raw and SmackDown. And we're going to get positive because some good stuff did happen on the shows on SmackDown, Chris. I was a big fan of this Intercontinental Championship match. Big E defending against Apollo Crews and Sami Zayn. Big E cut a really passionate promo backstage. Crews early in the match showed out with a sick moonsault off the ring apron. Big E got some huge belly to bellies. And then a double splash onto both guys. Cruz hit a huge frog splash on Zayn for a 2.8 count that I thought actually, I didn't think he was going to win the match, but it was that hope spot that you thought, oh man, this might actually happen here. Cruz hit Zayn with an exploder suplex while Biggie simultaneously hit Cruz with a German suplex in what I thought was the best wrestling move of the week across any show. It was awesome. Uh, Biggie ate a haluva kick from Zayn. Cruz saved the fall, pressing Zayn over the barrier into the timekeeper's area. Biggie then caught Cruz rolling back into the ring with the big ending to win and retain the title. Cruz was absolutely furious after, and there was a great camera shot of him staring a hole in Biggie as Biggie was celebrating on the ropes. Maybe he does move into a role with the Reigns family. We can kind of see where that goes with Cruz, but clearly they're telling a story, and I like that. This was a fantastic TV triple threat match. It only went about 12 minutes, but if you give them another five or six, it's actually memorable. 
and it totally bangs. Biggie obviously had to retain. He took take care now of the top two contenders, and we hopefully see him move on to new people. At least that's what I hope. He, that's what I thought, but but uh, Apollo kind of staring Biggie down afterward maybe made me feel like it might not. It, it, it takes you back to the really good Paul Heyman Apollo Cruz promo on Talking Smack from a couple weeks back that you you wanted me to watch. It was really good. That's when I thought we were going to get more of that from Apollo, but match was great uh, for all the reasons you said. But Apollo has lost like three, at least three Intercontinental Championship matches now over the past month. Well, they did the, they did the draw, and then the quick big the draw win. and the loss. Then the and then lo- he lost again, and then he lost this one. Yeah. yeah, so like they're not all they're a little bit different, all of them. But still, he's lost three in a row, and, and I I feel like I don't know. I, I feel like he just he doesn't deserve a another one. So I'm curious to see what they do if Apollo is going to attack him backstage and it leads to something or it becomes more heated, I guess. But um, I was surprised that Apollo, uh, Apollo took the pin, right? He did. I was yeah. surprised about that. I was yeah. so, so I was surprised by that. Me too. Now they could run an angle possibly where Cruz goes to Heyman and try actually gets in with their group and Heyman then argues with Adam Pierce on his behalf and gets him another title match. I think that could pot- potentially work. But even if they do have a match at Elimination Chamber, once that happens, Biggie needs to move on to someone else. There's so many potential contenders on that brand. Nakamura, Cesaro, Daniel Bryan, just to name a few. There's so many ways they can go. They don't need to just keep going with Apollo Crews, who I like and who is doing really good work and credit to him and WWE for giving him this opportunity, starting at the beginning of the pandemic with him winning the United States Championship. But now in this feud, it is starting to go a little long in the tooth. They do have to move on. I do want to give some credit to Michael Cole uh, and WWE, I guess, for uh, giving Biggie a little bit of a new gimmick, which is Powerhouse of Positivity. I think it's a really strong nickname for him. It keeps the New Day, but also is kind of pushing him as a single. And I, I like that. I also did get a DM slide here from D underscore Goonies. He said, if they do edge Roman, do you think we get a four-way between Shinsuke Brian, Cesaro, and Big E for the Intercontinental Championship, or even another match, including Sammy and Apollo. They're keeping all of them involved and booking them pretty damn well to not do it. Seth Rollins could be a part of that too. I actually think that's a pretty damn good booking. Can you imagine, forget a fatal four-way, like a ladder match or a TLC match or something like that at WrestleMania with Big E, Daniel Bryan, Cesaro, Shinsuke Nakamura, and maybe or maybe not Seth Rollins. That would be a total banger. Well, that's what we got for a couple of WrestleManias was that the Intercontinental Ladder match. And, and, you know, I think it'd be a great match and it'd be fun. You know, SmackDown's done a really good job of building up a lot of people who are in positions. Cesaro, Nakamura, Big E, Brian, uh, uh, there's other people too. So, like, they've done a good job building all these people. And we've all expected... They're going to build it up for an elimination chamber match. Winner faces Roman. That's kind of what we thought. That's what I hoped. Yeah, we thought was going to happen. We'll see what happens this Friday because it's coming up. They got to figure out what they're doing on SmackDown. Maybe they do that. Maybe they don't. But yeah, maybe this is instead setting up an intercontinental uh, ladder match. Um, It could be that as well. I I think the one thing I'll say is all of those guys are really, really good wrestlers. Mm-hmm. And if you put them in a ladder match, it kind of takes away that skill that they have. And it becomes, That's true. it becomes more of a spot thing. Like like Cesaro, Daniel Bryan going for 
10 minutes on SmackDown is so much fun to watch. And I, I, you know, I, I'd not say WWE views it that way, but I think if you put all those talented guys in the ladder match, it, it, it'd be fun. It'd be great. I'd love it. I just feel like it wouldn't be taking advantage of their skills. You know what you do? You make a really good point. And WWE never books matches like these on pay-per-views. It's almost always on TV. No, I, I think it is always on TV. I cannot remember ever seeing one of these on a pay-per-view. But what you do is a fatal four-way or fatal five-way elimination match on a pay-per-view. And you put all those guys in the match and you let them go. You give them 45 minutes as a group and you just have them tear the house down one by one. It allows everyone to wrestle. It allows the match to change and stay fresh. And you get multiple falls throughout. So you're not just waiting for that one fall with a million people hitting finishers and everyone getting pushed out of the ring. You actually create an interesting scenario. So Chris, that's a great, I mean, that wasn't necessarily more my idea than your idea, but you make a great point that these guys should be wrestling. They shouldn't necessarily just be doing spots. And if I was booking, man, an elimination match at WrestleMania that goes on 45 minutes with wrestlers of that caliber would be absolutely incredible. It doesn't even matter who would win the match. Think about think about how many guys we, we just listed, Rollins, Brian, Cesaro, Nakamura, Big E, all these guys who you feel like they could legitimately have a case to, to fight for the world championship. They're think all about, upper mid-carders. Think yes. about how many guys they've built over the last month and compare that to Raw when you just said you can't think of almost barely anybody on Raw who, who would make sense for... For uh, the only person to fight, they just do something. They throw it at the last minute. Some somehow this person gets gets a chance because of no reason. It's just a stark difference between the shows and how they develop and 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 just make guys look good. The only people on Raw who are built strong are Drew McIntyre and Bobby Lashley, the two champions. Lashley never defends his title, and when he does, it's a four minute match. McIntyre is the champion and won the championship right after losing it. The third person who they've built up decently is Keith Lee, who McIntyre just beat clean and who hasn't been involved or had not been involved in anything of significance for a while. So yeah, again, what, what you just said, if, if there was a, God forbid, something happened to the SmackDown locker room where a bunch of people got injured before WrestleMania or whatever, they could slot in Cesaro or Nakamura or Daniel Bryan or Big E. Hell, honestly, Corbin or Rey Mysterio, they could they could slot in a lot of people for a main event match, for a world championship opportunity, for just being in the main event or the upper card. All those guys are upper mid-carders. Raw is stacked. It has just as many talents, a little bit different, not as fan-favorite in-ring wrestling type of skill talents, but they have those guys as well in your Lashley's and your Riddles and your and your Keith Lee's and AJ Styles and all these guys. But look at who they've chosen for this Elimination Chamber match. Why? I mean, look, you, you can say Sheamus should be in there and, and the other guys. Why the hell are the Miz and Jeff Hardy in this match? Yep. It just makes no sense at all. So again, you compare it to SmackDown and you just say, man, SmackDown really is doing things that much better. It's just a microcosm of how much better the SmackDown booking process and results have been recently. If you just look at that, Chris, we didn't get a chance to talk about it. What do you think? Because you know there's going to be two Elimination Chamber matches at this pay-per-view. I'm wondering what you think the second one will be. I do not see any scenario in which Roman Reigns is in it. Therefore, 
It's not going to be for the Universal Championship. I don't think either women's division on Raw or SmackDown has enough people built up as challengers right now where it would make sense to do a women's elimination chamber match. Again, Asuka is having her first title match in like five months. Um, So I think the only two options are mid-card on SmackDown, whether that's for a number one contendership or for the Intercontinental title, or the other option is a women's match for the tag team championships, because I do think there are enough women at this point where you could conceivably put that together from a tag team perspective. I like the idea of the Intercontinental belt being, and it makes it feel important because you have, mm-hmm. you'll have two, it'll be, it'll be the equivalent of the world championship match on, on the other, on the other side. And you've got a lot of guys who um, are deserving of the spot. And if, if they lose, it doesn't necessarily hurt them. It, it, they still have their, they still feel like they could be future Roman Reigns uh, opponents and stuff like that. So I don't know. I was thinking about men's tag team, but I don't think there's enough especially on SmackDown, I don't think there's oh, men's tag team. Guys. Definitely not. No. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I, I I mean, if it's not the number one contender thing and, and we, pres- we presume it's not going to be now, maybe they do take the intercontinental route. I could see women's tag team because you have Jackson Baszler who have nothing to do. Nothing. I mean, they Lana and, and Naomi did win the number one contendership, but it doesn't say when they get that match. They haven't scheduled it. Right. So you can even throw them in. Uh, you have the Riot Squad. You can add another team from Raw. And you can even throw an NXT team in there or something like that. I, yeah. I, I think the winner of the Mae Young Classic, uh, not the Mae Young Classic, the um, Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic, that they could get a spot in the Elimination Chamber for the Women's Tag Team Championship. So I think that would be a really nice piece of booking, get a lot of women on the show and get a Women's Elimination Chamber match. But I just don't think WWE only does one. No, I I think you make a good case there for the women's tag team. I think that would be a great idea. I'm just not sure. I don't know if they'll do it. If they care enough about the women's tag team belts to do it. But I I do like the idea. Agreed. Now, I kind of want to move to the equivalent of the intercontinental picture on Raw, which is the United States championship picture. We didn't necessarily know this was going in that direction, though it did seem that way. We got Keith Lee versus Riddle on Raw. Again, unadvertised ahead of the show. But anyone who likes independent wrestling has seen, or NXT has seen these two go before and knows they can bang. And that's exactly what they did on Monday night. For me, a highlight of Raw. Lee asked Riddle backstage if it was worth getting outnumbered constantly by the Hurt Business to go after the United States Championship. Riddle compared himself to Air Bud, talked about getting toasty and said he wanted the title. I thought that was a pretty close reference right on the head there. I didn't think they'd go that direction, but okay. I guess you can get toasty with alcohol as well. Uh, Lee suggested maybe some new blood needed to be inserted into the mix. MVP was on commentary for the match, and he had a really good line about fear being healthy, but Riddle is too dumb to be scared of Bobby Lashley. <laughs> Thought that was hysterical. Yeah. Uh, Lee pounced Riddle across the ring, later got caught with a Pele kick, flying forearms and knees. Riddle hit the floating bro like almost halfway across the ring. But Lee kicked out at 2.5. Riddle then hit three Brotons, but Lee caught the final flash knee strike and Riddle countered a spirit bomb into an armbar. Lee finally caught Riddle almost with a pop-up spirit bomb, I guess is the best way to describe it, and beats him clean with the one, two, three for a great, great TV match. This thing totally banged in every way. 
It was absolute fire. It was. That's the most action I've had all year. Ashley attacked Lee after the match and caught him with an insanely impressive flying slam. Riddle came to the rescue and ate another hurt lock. Lashley then destroyed Lee outside the ring and ran steel steps into his face, knocking him over the announce table. Chris, you know what this is. This was 100% prime USDA certified. Big meaty man slapping me. <laughs> it man. may actually be, Chris, the pinnacle of the entire thing. He don't want no water. He don't want no bread. All he wants is meat. We're rolling with a triple threat United States Championship match at Elimination Chamber, and you will not see any complaint from me with these three guys battling. Riddle is probably going to be the fall guy, but this thing is going to be great. I am not at all worried about it. Don't worry about the shirt. Worry about the meat inside the shirt. Okay, now you can go. <laughs> Finally. I needed this. I needed the drops, dude. I had to get them all out. No, you, had, you had to. That, that look that Lashley gave Keith Lee when, when they faced off, Oh man, you could feel that meat slapping in, in your loins. That was that was a moment. That was a cool thing. That was, that was a type of not not too gently here though. That that was the kind of showdown we didn't get in the rumble that we often get. And, mm-hmm. and so to finally get it here, that was a cool moment to see them charge at each other to do that. Uh and we are finally getting something to happen with this U.S. title. Like, they, they they stopped and started on the Riddle stuff forever. They they threw Keith Lee in, then he was gone for a little bit, now he's back. It finally built us something here, and I and, and hope for a title change or something. Do some stuff with this. They got three really talented guys here. I'm really excited for this match. I'm really excited for the meet. And this was a great segment. Yeah, it's going to be flying at Elimination Chamber. You can bet on that. Yeah, yeah, you make a good point. So I think I said five months um, for Asuka. It'll be four months since Lashley has defended the United States Championship on a pay-per-view. He's been built very strong despite that, and he's had a couple of those matches on Raw that are kind of garbage. I think he defended it against Titus in 90 seconds at one point a couple of months ago, like I don't even. I still don't even remember why that happened. I guess Titus I liked challenged. it. It was different. I like it, we weren't getting Lashley in enough. It was just Lashley versus Riddler. But he's not. Def- he, but no, he's but just not defending the title. And then the yeah. Riddle match had like I think a DQ or something weird happened in it. There was a distraction. I don't remember. But the point is, there's no thought given to the booking, yeah. right? Like there's just no thought to the fact that this guy Lashley, who has been great legitimately great since joining the Hurt Business. It has completely revitalized his WWE career, which had been stagnant since he rejoined the the organization. MVP has done a great job. This guy looks like an absolute monster and you can't get him defending the title. Even if he's crushing people, you can't get him defending the title. Now, out of nowhere with two weeks build, and I'm not complaining, I'm just saying, we have Lashley versus Keith Lee, who by the way, Chris, let's rewind like three months we thought that was going to be the feud. Right. After he had beaten Orton and it was clear they weren't going to go with McIntyre, it looked like we were getting Lashley against Lee. They never did it. Then they start building uh, Lashley and Riddle and we're like, okay, eventually Riddle's going to take the title off him. It just makes sense. 
Now we're getting all of it thrown together and combined into one. And again, I am not complaining, but what I will say, they absolutely have to take the United States Championship off Bobby Lashley. He doesn't need it. He's actually built up beyond it. He should be a main eventer on Raw. He should be operating away from that championship. And both Riddle and Keith Lee, either of them, absolutely need it. They need that stamp. They need to say, yes, we are putting momentum behind one of you. And I think in a triple threat match, it gives a great opportunity for basically, most likely, Keith Lee to beat Riddle and have Lashley not factor in. Yeah, that, that's probably the way to go. I, I mean, and you can set it up for a rematch at Fastlane and give him a one-on-one or, or Absolutely. Whatever. Or Mania, you know? if you yeah. want. Yeah, it's not like this feud needs to end with, with the title change. Uh, but but I, I do think you need to change the title and, and freshen up just th- that title and, and what Lashley's doing. 100%. So let's move over to the women. And we'll talk about this long storyline or what I expect to be a long storyline between Charlotte Flair and Lacey Evans. So Ric Flair looked pretty blown up and bloated uh, in a tiny suit, if we're being honest. Uh, His explanation for helping Evans all these weeks, she has the tools, but just can't reach her ceiling without some guidance. I thought it was messy, but it made sense. So that was cool. Charlotte said if Lacey actually wanted to improve, she'd go to the WWE Performance Center, which is highly accurate. (laughs) And she was brought up, as I've said multiple times, way too soon. And that actually proved itself in this match. Uh, She said, Flair can manage whoever, meaning Rick, but shouldn't be dragging Charlotte into it. Lacey said they should team up. Charlotte rejected her. Lacey said she was told that she could be the number one contender if she beat Charlotte one-on-one. Charlotte said, all right, let's go now. Evans attacked her and threw her shoulder first into the steel steps outside. So we get into the ring and it actually started decently enough. Charlotte had a great Tossed suplex and strutted in Rick's face. Charlotte blocked Evans' jumping moonsault. And then Evans screwed up a spot. And Charlotte literally needed to telegraph the entire thing, both that she needed to block like a driving elbow, and then she needed to come back out of the corner. She just didn't know what to do. These two continue to lack chemistry. So it's not great that they will probably be in a WrestleMania match. We can only hope they practice it like a million times. Lacey used uh, Flair as a shield a couple of times. He directed her to do a figure four, but I think on that one, she purposely screwed up to show that she wasn't all the way there yet. Charlotte then absolutely murdered Evans in the corner with forearms and ignored the referee, causing a disqualification, giving Lacey the title opportunity. So it's going to be Asuka in her first Raw Women's Championship match on a pay-per-view in five months against Lacey Evans. WWE does too many DQ finishes, but the booking of this, Chris, made a lot of sense, at least to me. I actually enjoyed the entirety of the segments, even if I didn't love the match. So I'm not sure about you. Yeah, so like I, we always hate the, you're wrestling too hard, so you get disqualified finish. Like it's such a lazy way to get out of things that they do way too often. But this is the situation to do it. This is, it's, it's clearly personal. Charlotte is just annoyed and pissed off with them. Not angry, that there, it's, it's not a situation where like Lacey's attacking her all the time and she's trying to fight back. She's just bothering her like a bug and Charlotte's just trying to swat her away and she's getting fed up with it. And so that's what happens in, in, at the end of the match. That worked. That made sense. The match was not great, like you said, but the story is what the story is. I thought the Rick promo was pretty good. It, 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 was, it was a reminder along with Edge 
that 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 these are what people are supposed to sound like. You know, it, it was oh, this is Ric Flair. He's been doing this for decades and decades. This is a guy who's comfortable just getting on a mic and talking and going with it. And it, it just yeah, he looked bloated, and I hope he's you know healthy and everything. But it, it was it was a good promo that made sense, and I was fine with it. My my big takeaway coming out of this is well, actually. Going going back when, after the Rick promo, Charlotte comes out in her robe with the pyro and everything. I'm thinking to myself, why is she getting promo? I'm, why is she getting pyro responding to a promo? It's kind of a weird situation. But right as I thought that, commentary said something along the lines of Charlotte is a star, and this is how a star acts every time she comes to the ring. I was like, oh, okay, makes perfect sense. Great catch there, uh, uh, Corey and, and 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 everybody doing the commentary. But my biggest takeaway coming out of this is, I think Charlotte is looking better coming out of this feud, and and it's the idea I imagined was to help build Lacey Evans and, and kind mm-hmm. of bring her along and everything. But my takeaway coming out of it is Charlotte looks pretty damn cool, kind of how she's handling this, and she looks really good at what she's doing. Her, her response to Rick getting in his face, saying this is my ring and walking out. I was like, that's pretty cool. And, and, and Lacey's just kind of coming off as annoying. I don't know what's the point of it, but I'm liking Charlotte more in this feud. I thought Charlotte on Monday did a very good job. It yes. was really the first time in this whole feud where I was like, you know what? Yeah, like the storytelling of it makes a lot of sense. She's not saying don't work with other women. She's just saying... Don't interrupt my matches. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah go, exactly. go do your thing. Go go teach her. Go do, you know, if you want to feel like you're important, go for it. But leave me out of it, right? And there really is no reason, if you actually think about it, that Lacey and Rick would need to interfere just because he's helping her. But the truth is that he wants her to get over on Charlotte because she's the top dog, right? She like If she beats Charlotte and, and is able to climb that mountain, then she's ready for a title opportunity. So... You know, if they do this match and if it ends up at WrestleMania, I hope Lacey Evans wins. And that's not because I like Lacey Evans because I don't. I think she's totally out of her depth uh, wrestling, you know, on the main roster right now. But you can't just have Charlotte kind of buzz through her. Yeah. You know, it just really wouldn't make a lot of sense. I don't even know how they can possibly tell this storyline for another three months. I mean, we were talking about Charlotte as a potential competitor for Asuka's Women's Championship. Maybe... It's a three-way with Lacey. I forgot the person. I was talking about Rhea Ripley possibly being a three-way with her. We haven't even seen her. We've now had two Raws. She's not on TV. So where's Rhea Ripley? Why have you, she not, why has she not debuted the same way Damian Priest has? Why are you not building her up for a big opportunity? I, I don't totally get it, but I didn't hate this as much as I thought I would, despite me not being that fond of what Charlotte's been doing recently and, and how she's booked normally and not at all fond of Lacey Evans. I thought it was a mediocre success, you know, yeah, believe my, it or not. Yeah, my brother texted me. He's he's afraid that Lacey's going to beat Asuka, and then we're going to have a Charlotte-Lacey If Lacey beats Asuka, if Lacey beats Asuka, we're in hell. Like, yeah. if the, Lacey beats Asuka, Raw is officially in hell. Period. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm wondering if they're saving Rhea for after Elimination Chamber to, to Maybe. come out I mean, afterward and then build into whether it's Rhea, whether it's Rhea Oscar or whether it's it's Charlotte Rhea Oscar or something like that. I I I don't think they're going to keep Rhea Ripley out of it. I'm wondering if they're just waiting through Elimination Chamber. My expectation is that Charlotte interrupts the match the way Lacey and Rick have been. 
and, for, you know, basically distracts Lacey and Asuka wins. That's my guess. And yeah. I, if it's not that, if it's not that, which is obvious, of course, then I'm scared. <laughs> I'm officially scared because yeah. you cannot have Asuka. It's one thing for Asuka to lose on a roll-up in that tag team situation to get a little heat on Charlotte, but it's a total other thing to have her lose clean to Lacey Evans on a pay-per-view. That just can't happen. Uh, moving back to SmackDown, we had Cesaro go head-to-head with Daniel Bryan. It was an incredibly fun match. It wasn't long. It should have been longer, but it did tell a nice story. Nakamura was watching the whole time from backstage. Either Cesaro's head or Brian's wrist got busted open. After the Cesaro swing, he locked Brian in a sharpshooter for a surprise submission. He doesn't win that often with the sharpshooter. Cesaro was really pumped. Brian was dejected. They fist bumped. This was half run back matches on SmackDown. Like one out of every two matches on SmackDown is something that we had just seen recently before. But you're not going to get complaints from me. I wonder what they're doing with Brian constantly losing. I know he wants to put people over, but fans still want to see him win and be relevant and victorious. Also, it seems like Cesaro may be in the midst of a legitimate push, but I do wonder to what end that push is. Is it, does he eventually face Roman Reigns? Is it an intercontinental feud? Is it a post-mania title match? I don't know, but it was a great match and I continue to be intrigued at what they are doing with Cesaro, Nakamura, and Brian. I just don't know the answer and that maybe that's good that I'm intrigued and I just don't know where they're going to go. But I also don't want Daniel Bryan to just lose to everyone all the time. I, I don't know if they know the answer either. I, I mean, we saw the Elimination Chamber change plan, uh, plans change on Raw. Maybe things are changing on SmackDown as well. Uh, but, but, you know, just God bless Daniel Bryan, man. I, I mean, he's just he is just going all out all the time to raise anybody he can at all times. And and Cesaro looked great. You know, everybody gets in the ring with Brian looks great. I don't know if it's going to turn into anything. You know, we've had the Cesaro pushes in the past that didn't go anywhere, so I'm, I'm not going to get my hopes up. I just really hope that they do have a plan, and, and usually SmackDown gets the benefit of the doubt because they, they do. They, they do they things right. It. They figure it out. Um, but yeah, I am kind of wondering where it's going to go here. And I, I imagine we're going to get some big answers on, on, on Friday on where this is going to go. There's no question to me that SmackDown deserves the benefit of the doubt. And we, there's a difference between not booking the way I wish they would and booking poorly. SmackDown, let's say with this Edge thing, they're not booking the way I would have. I would have preferred Brian. I think they're making a mistake. That's an opinion. Raw's booking sucks. That's a fact. So, so the, those are two different, two totally different levels of criticism on this show. You know, one, it's acceptable that it's not the way I thought I might prefer it. The other one is just bad. Something that was not bad, surprisingly, at least in my opinion, on Monday night, was a tables match <laughs> between Nia Jax and Lana. So, two months later, with no advertising. We finally get this match. I wish they had advertised this. They, these two deserved to have this match advertised. They did. Lana, Lana had three tag team partners before this feud finished. Let's remember. Jax in this match killed Lana with two choke bombs. I have no idea still why they let her steal Raquel Gonzalez's finisher, but they have let her. She also did a stretch muffler and swung Lana into the middle turnbuckle. Jax hysterically Quotes training day in the middle, 
King Kong ain't got shit on me. Right in the middle of the match, they bleeped shit. Lana then got Jax over the top rope, and Jax missed a leg drop on the ring apron, where we got an all-timer, folks. Again, one more time. Presumably, presumably referring to her injured asshole. Uh, actually, pretty funny. And she sold the hell out of it. I got to say, I'm when dying. Lana ran her down outside the ring and shoved her into a propped up table for the win. Lana beats Nia Jax in a tables match. There was little wrestling here, but the booking was entertaining and funny. I got to admit, I saw some people crapping on it because it was comedy. I don't know what they thought they were getting when they just had this woman eat nine announce table Samoan drops from Nia Jax over the course of like a two-month span or a three-month span. This has been always a comedy feud between those two. Now, the wrestling match, the tag team championship match that we're going to get with Naomi and Lana and Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler, that should not be comedy. But so far, it has not been any comedy. But the Nia Jax-Lana storyline has been comedy this entire time. Look, Nia Jax somehow over the last couple of months has started like forcing her way, like punching at the wall of my hatred and is winning her way, not so much into my heart, but into the part of my brain that says, you know what? She has a place in WWE. I love the comedy from her. I don't know if this was 100% improv or if it was scripted. I don't care. They better not punish her for it. I don't want to hear anything about this being bad. This was enjoyable and entertaining. Chris, this was (laughs) professional wrestling. I couldn't stop laughing. And then just hearing that again, I I don't know if we got to make my hole into a drop. I don't know what situation. I didn't cut it for no, dude. I didn't cut it for no reason. I I don't. That that's on the show forever. It's not going anywhere. I don't know what situation it's going to fit, but man, it killed me. And yeah, no, this was, it's a great story. I, I mean, I didn't like how they how Lana became the sole survivor, but that was a great story going back into it that Lana worked her way and kind of fluked her way into getting into the match and Nia didn't of course. like her being there. And 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 you know, Lana got pulled from the tag match and I'm again pretty sure she had a real leg ankle. I don't think she did. Okay. She I don't think she did. She's posted on Instagram about a boot, a walking boot or something like that. I think she, she was selling it. I just think she was selling it. Maybe, paper. maybe, maybe. But but either way, they come back to it. It makes sense. I wish they had promoted it, like you said. And the match was fine. It was funny. And, and you know, we don't, it doesn't need to continue every week. We, different people can move into different things. But Lana Naya has been really good. It's been really funny. It's been exactly what it's needed to be. And to get the, the climax we got on, on Monday was hilarious. I mean, it's totally fine that, like, WWE, I'm, I'm going to give them a shred of credit here. They set up the match by having Naomi and Lana win the number one contenderships. And they mentioned Lana's problems with Nia Jax historically during that match. So it's not like this was not pre-booked. But there's no good reason why Friday night on SmackDown, you can't say coming up Monday night on Raw, we're getting Riddle against Keith Lee, two best friends go head to head. And Lana finally looks for her ultimate revenge on Nia Jax in a tables match. Guess what? I'm tuning in to see that. I don't know about some other people that may groan and roll their eyes. I'm tuning in to see it. I Going into this feud was not a Lana fan, not a Nia Jax fan, still not really a fan of either of them. But damn it, 
if you make me legitimately laugh and smile and want to make sure that something is a part of my podcast <laughs> for the duration of its existence, which that will be, then that's a winner. Folks, that's a W. They got a W. They deserve a thumbs up. That's a very big hero from my old listeners, Hero and Zero. That is a hero. It was. We also got Naomi versus Shayna Baszler, the other tag team partners, going head to head. Naomi broke the Kirafuda clutch with the ropes. You don't see that actually that often. Baszler went outside to beat the shit out of Lana. And when she came back inside, Naomi caught her with a small package. So pinning combinations are way better than roll-ups. It is different. That actually takes skill and effort. So I liked it. Beating Baszler should be done so rarely that using a pinning combination in a situation like this to set up a tag team title match makes a lot of sense. They wanted both faces to win. I see no scenario in which Naomi and Lana win the titles, whether it's in an elimination chamber, whether it's head to head. So I was totally fine with them getting the win here and then Baszler and Jax coming back and getting the win in the future. Yeah, it was, you know, anytime I see a women's match, that involves some sort of roll up of a champion. I just, I always kind of instantly roll my eyes because mm-hmm. they do it so much. Um, it, it made sense in this, you know, Lana beats Nia, Naomi beats Shayna, and it kind of sets up a, a match. It, it was fine. I didn't have, I, w- I didn't have strong feelings either way on it. I, I agree that Shayna should lose so frequently, uh, infrequently, that, you know, but you, you also got to have someone. You, you got you to gotta give Naomi something and set it up for a future feud. So, yeah, it was fine. Moving back to the men. Let's talk Damian Priest. Damian Priest beat Angel Garza in a singles match. Bad Bunny was in Priest's corner. Garza was aligned with Miz and John Morrison, which actually kind of works. And if that's going to get him on TV and integrate him in this storyline, I think it's a big win because we just want to see Angel Garza. And he needs to do more than whatever the hell it that repackaging was when he came back. It's like he was repackaged, but he wasn't. I don't know, but with Miz and Morrison and p- potentially in a long-term feud with Bad Bunny and Damian Priest, that gets this guy some shine. And I really like that if they go in that direction. Uh, for those who don't listen to our NXT show, I always say that Priest exudes such charisma and machismo, kind of like Razor Ramon did, who just so happens to be his idol. His entrance is fantastic. I really like that they are making him feel like a big deal on Raw. Again, the the difference, the juxtaposition between how Priest is being introduced and how Keith Lee was introduced, it's night and day. You can totally tell that they want this guy to be a big deal, and I absolutely love it. The match, it was okay. It was filled with distractions. Bad Bunny stopped an attack on Priest by stealing money in the bank and throwing it into the ring. The referee tossed Miz and Morrison. Then Priest caught Garza with the reckoning for the win. I'm not sure how they are going to keep this up for two months, I just don't expect Bad Bunny to be wrestling at Elimination Chamber or Fastlane. So I have to imagine it's going to be at WrestleMania. And and from what I understand, this guy is in the WWE Performance Center training and actually attempting to do this. Not probably long term, but at least something that he's trying to accomplish right now. So for me, this continues to be a win. And I think all of it. Yeah, so so Damien Priest comes out and he does his intro where he shoots the imaginary arrow at the Titantron. And when he did it on the stage, it, it didn't work at all for me because the lights were so bright and the angle at which he kind of had to point compared to NXT 
you didn't know what the heck it was hard to tell what he was doing. But then he gets in the ring and they do the camera from below and above him, kind of the same thing and the name appears. That in was the fire. Yeah. Yeah, that was really cool. That yeah. that's like a wow moment when you see that happen on an, an entrance. So I don't know if they can tweak the beginning of it versus what they did at the end. That second part was awesome. Um, and yeah, the match was fine. It was what it was. Like a lot of these situations, a lot of these storylines, it's weird because we're like, we're clearly on the road to WrestleMania and we're less than two months away, but we've also got two pay-per-views before then. So yeah. it's, it, and it, so it's, you kind of really don't know how it's going to play out, but shoot. I mean, if, if bad bunny's training to wrestle, I, I said this last week, if there's a celebrity who clearly likes wrestling, it works for me. Like, like, like you've had people in the past who clearly don't care that they're there, don't care anything about it. I'm fine with celebrities. You know, when Rob Gronkowski was, you know, showed up at the Andre Memorial Battle Royal or something like that. Like, yeah, when, yeah, when, yeah. When, when they like it, it works for me. It's fine. I mean, look, Bow Wow is not a big name, but he's been tweeting about WWE the last two days. Cardi B did it a couple days ago. This is what they want. You need to capitalize on this. And uh, you make a good point about the road to WrestleMania. It is long. And especially when WrestleMania is not the final weekend of March or the penultimate weekend of March and they push it into April, it gets really long, the road. And that's kind of what they're dealing with here. It, they're extending this. And that naturally makes telling stories difficult. Think back to the Becky Lynch, Ronda Rousey, and then Charlotte Flair storyline. It got so monotonous and they had to do so many things because you knew what the match was. Because, you know, they made their choices and it was just clear the direction they were going to go. But you got to tell the story. And how do you do that over multiple months with multiple pay-per-views with your champions, at least one of each, the Royal, the, the champions challenged by the Royal Rumble winners, needing primarily to retain their titles and, and keep that storyline. So it is so difficult to book. This, I think you got to give these guys weeks off of television. Like next week, I wouldn't put any of them on TV. No Miz, no Morrison, no Garza, no Priest, no Bad Bunny. Just take a breath, then bring them back the next week for two weeks in a row, then take a week off. They're gonna have to start doing stuff like that. Otherwise, every storyline is just gonna get so repetitive and ridiculous. And they're, they're gonna fight each other so many different combinations that it, you're just gonna be sick of it by the time WrestleMania comes around. So they need to take those lessons and start thinking that way and not for lack of a better term, uh, I don't want them to blow their load too soon. And you need to stretch these things out and, and realize that storytelling doesn't have to happen every single week, basically. You can take some breaks. And that's what I hope they learn to do here. Uh, move on. We've got a couple more things before we get out of here. Bailey beat Ruby Riot in a singles match. This was a Royal Rumble elimination retribution, no pun intended, type of match. Billy Kay tried to help Riot when her shoulder was being bent backwards. Liv Morgan yelled at Billy. Riot missed a pinning combination, and Bailey hit the Rose Plant for a win. I just I don't feel much happening here. It's weird that Riot Squad is not contending or heavily fo focused and featured in the women's tag team title picture, and they're just doing this thing with Bailey. And it's good that Bailey has something to do, but I don't see it going anywhere. Yeah, I, I mean, when you see it, it, looks like the tag match is now going to be. Lana and Naomi, you know, maybe they decide to Riot Squad just do something else on the side for a little bit. It is weird that they haven't gotten that opportunity. You, you kind of got to pull the trigger at some point. Um, but Billy Kay continues to be hilarious. I mean, she continues to be a bright, uh, one of the 
best parts of all the Riot Squad stuff, even though it's not directly with them. I, I liked Billy Kay going up to, to Bailey at the end. So, um, yeah, it was it was fine. It was not much to it, but it was fine. So we got Dirty Dogs versus Alpha Academy in a non-title match. Look, WWE won't call either team by their tag team name. I don't know why. they have, <laughs> Dirty Dogs have brand new music the first time, yes. I think, in forever that Dolph Love Ziggler ha- has new music, and it's good. And they have matching um, tights, and they have matching jean jackets with leather and logos, but they're Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode. Call them the Dirty Dogs. Why is it so difficult? It's a good name. It's a good team. Make them legitimate. They're the champions. Then you have Alpha Academy. Maybe you don't want to call them that for one reason or another. Okay. But they're Alpha Academy. That's what I'm calling them. This was a real tag team match, but WWE just refused to treat it like one. Uh, The Street Profits did picture-in-picture commentary from like this black black void, just black wall behind them. Nothing was happening uh, during the entire match. It was equal parts fun, different, annoying, distracting, Otis went on a hot run and took out Robert Roode before tagging in Chad Gable. Dolph Ziggler sacrificed himself to Gable so Roode could hit the glorious DDT for the win. Otis and Gable, they work well as a team. I wish they had some semblance of momentum. I wish Gable was not the person taking the fall every single time. But I I enjoyed it. But man, there was so much in here that just frustrated me. This is SmackDown. SmackDown's better than this, you know? Fix these little errors and and make this a little bit more real and entertaining. I, I, I wish it worked better for me. I, I I hated this, and it had nothing to do with necessarily with the people involved. I, the, the Street Profits talking over the entire match made no sense. It, it, it was it was, it, it was a street it, it was a Street Profits segment. It, it, the match didn't even matter. It was really hard to pay attention to what was even going on in the match. Everybody involved didn't kind of deserve to be put in that situation. I, I mean, you compare that compare the the way they had the Street Profits just react to the whole match compare that to what mvp did on commentary on raw where he was Ex- building totally up different. the people yep. and building up the people or even when ali was on commentary upset about one of the people in the match and kind of expressing frustration but not taking over the entire thing this was just i i did not understand the point of this at all i was really excited when i saw we were getting a dirty dogs and an alpha academy match i was like oh because I, I love otis and gable i love what they've been doing and they got a match with the champs I'm excited to see it and instead, I just wanted to mute the TV. Couldn't pay attention to the match. Just a, a real mess. And I hope they don't do something like that again. Zero. We had New Day and Retribution over on Raw. So they didn't give us Xavier Woods and Reckoning, <laughs> which makes them true cowards. Let's be very clear. WWE is a bunch of cowards for not doing that. <laughs> Mustafa Ali was on commentary. And it was a little bit of a surprise that they gave him that much rope. But it was not a surprise that he was great. And apparently... He was also on Raw Talk and went on like a five-minute rant on WWE. Now, I haven't seen that yet. I don't have the audio. I'm going to watch it later today or at some point this week. We will talk about that next week on this show, which I guess is going to be the go-home show for Elimination Chamber. It seems really tight together. But if it's really as good as I'm hearing people say, we will play it on next week's show. Or, hey, maybe I'll just shove it into the Thursday show this week. I don't know. I'll figure it out. But we didn't get it. But Ali was great on commentary. Kofi got the hot tag and hit T-Bar with Trouble in Paradise to knock him outside off the ring apron. Then New Day beat Slapjack with Daybreak for the clean win. Ali berated Retribution afterward and said he's going to give his life, or he would give his life, just to take down Kofi. It was a perfectly good segment for any wrestling TV show, and Woods kept on reckoning after the match. 
He was verbally challenging her as he walked backwards up the ramp. So I still hope that happens. But we've had a lot of, you know, not so great stuff with New Day since being on Raw, retribution through the entirety of its existence. When you compare this segment, when you juxtapose this segment to Dirty Dogs and Alpha Academy, it's night and day. I thought this was a big winner and really good stuff. Yeah, the, the story's kind of coming into focus. It, Retribution is now basically Ali's lackeys, so to speak. And we're focusing on, on the Ali, Kofi, you know, uh, anger toward each other. And it's working for both of them. You know, th- there was, we kept seeing them over and over and it wasn't, it wasn't really, it was too many, it was too general. Now it's, now it's focused on the story and it's working. Yeah, it, it was good. Is what Xavier I thought you were going to go on a little longer. I wasn't right there with. Yeah, the, uh, there was not. It was no, not it's fine. Much, it, it was solid. It's like you, I, I know sometimes if something's bad, we talk about it more than if we talk about it being good. But it's really it's somewhat unfair that yeah that we do that. But it's the the frustration mounts is really what it is. It's like you watch the show, like you're watching Run. You're just like, why the hell are they doing this? And like I'm take I'm putting bullet points down and oh I hate this and I hate that. If something's good. You're like, hey, that was great. <laughs> like there's yeah. there's not much else to say. Like you can explain why it was great, and we do that frequently. I think with the Reigns and Edge thing, we we kind of broke down why we liked it so much. The Lee Riddle stuff, the Intercontinental Championship match, but some things that WWE does are just so freaking frustrating that you need to get it out, or at least I do. I need to let the poison out of my system, as they would say back in the day on Howard Stern. Uh, okay, Baron Corbin against Dominic Mysterio. So Corbin attacked both Mysterios during their entrance. Michael Cole billed this as, will the third time be the charm? Plus Corbin wanting retribution for being eliminated from the Royal Rumble. So the match happening made a little sense, but man, it's like they purposely, actively try to make everything Corbin does repetitive. (laughs) It's incredible. Ray sold an injured knee. He crawled underneath the length of the entire ring and grabbed Corbin's foot so Dominic could hit the 619 and a frog splash to beat Baron Corbin for the win. You'll hear people breathlessly complain that Ray cheated so his son can win and that that's a bad booking. But I am, I think that is so ridiculous. It's actually a decent piece of booking. First of all, Eddie Guerrero cheated all the time as a face and fans cheered him for it. Literally, literally, literally his catchphrase. Lie, cheat, and steal. (laughs) Yes. And they're, they honor Eddie all the time with the frog. The frog splash is their finisher now. I mean, both of them, right? It used to be the 619. Then they moved to the frog splash after Eddie died, you know, in a combination. Uh, but I thought this was a decent piece of booking. I'm done with the feud and I know they're going to go back to it next week, but this was good. This was fine. Yeah, it was, it was fine. It, it's like, I mean, I said this last week, which was like, if this was normal times and we had house shows, you know, Dominic would it would be Dominic Corbin on every house show and he'd be getting all that in-ring experience. But we don't right. have that. So we're kind of going through the motions on TV to give to give him that experience. And so it becomes repetitive. And because it's Corbin, because every storyline he's in is repetitive, it gets old quickly. So I I, I look at this feud as a low mid-card feud with the purpose of getting, you know, more experience for Dominic. And if that's what it's setting out to be, it's accomplishing that. I, I don't have high expectations for this future of the story. And it's, it's, it's meeting that very low bar, I guess. I would like to see at WrestleMania, Ray and Dominic against the Dirty Dogs. 
for the SmackDown Tag Team titles? I'm trying to think. I, I mean, I would I'd prefer to see Alpha Academy because I love them and I think they do great tag work, but you know, the Mysterios make sense. What percentage chance? Give me a number here. We know Seth Rollins is coming back next week on SmackDown. It's been announced. What percentage chance does he just slide right back into a field? <laughs> oh, God, I hope not. I really hope not. I know he came back at the Rumble as the Messiah, Messiah. Yep. but the, 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 the promo video they did with him was kind of that, but kind of not. So I'm hoping they're steering away from that gimmick a little bit. And, and I, I don't know what he's going to turn into, but just, yeah, please stay away from me. I mean, give maybe, me a number. Give me a number. What percentage chance? So, so does what, he, how you define is this? Is this they cross each other's paths backstage and he makes a comment or they have a match? Like what, what's the um, bar here? It is, it is clear. It becomes clear that the feud will continue. I'll give it a 33% chance. I think uh, they'll, like, okay. no, I, I think they'll acknowledge it. I think we might see something like Rollins, like pass him and say something or whatever backstage. I don't, I, I think it's possible but I'm leaning toward them not throwing him right back into that feed. Okay, so I'm with you. I think it's a one in four chance, 25%. Because SmackDown is so good, but in the end, it's still WWE. So so there's like that, there's a slim chance where it's like, you know what? They could actually go back to that and just kill all of us, right? And have the, and somehow do it over three months and have a match at WrestleMania. (laughs) You know, uh, arm for an arm or, or head for an head and maybe they decapitate someone. I don't know. I don't know what they do next, but I could see that being possible, but I don't think it's likely. And I really hope it's not. I am excited for Seth Rollins to be back. And that means obviously that Becky Lynch is doing well and their child is doing well. So that's great. Uh, their kid's name's Rue, by the way. I think that's a great name for a child. Interesting. R-O-U-X. Anyway, uh, lastly here, this is really nothing, but I just <laughs> I had to mention it. They put Hulk Hogan on SmackDown. I, I, I was going to bring this up if you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> they put Hulk Hogan on SmackDown promoted it as him recounting the Andre the Giant match 33 years later. But they didn't even really do that. Hogan put over Edge for being his former tag team partner. (laughs) This made absolutely zero sense. It was a force feeding of Hogan, who can be okay in particular spots if you want him in two months to preview the Roman Reigns Edge match, if they go that route. I'm okay with that. But here... It was completely unnecessary. 33 is not a notable anniversary. It wasn't the 30th anniversary or the 35th. This was just shoehorning Hogan into a show, and they didn't even announce it for ratings. So, Chris, there's only one way to describe this. 0.0, Mr. Blutarski. Yeah, I mean, first of all, this was like, I think it led into a Black History Month package or something like that, which is Oh, my God. Tone deaf. Come on. Insane. And then... The 33 years to the day, I thought this was going to be the WrestleMania match. I didn't even realize <laughs> that it was a match in 1988 that was the, the on the main event that the I think it was the two Hebners match. Like wh- nobody, nobody, rem- nobody watching SmackDown barely remembers that. What, what, what kind of what kind of match is that to celebrate an anniversary for? So weird. So tone deaf. Just I don't I didn't not get it at all. Uh, breaking news here at the end of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. The company, and look, we're giving them a a promo, I guess. The company, Tushy Spa 3.0, has officially offered Nia Jax a sponsorship agreement (laughs) after her... (laughs) 
<laughs> after her comments Monday night on Raw. So congratulations to Naya. I hope she takes full advantage of that sponsorship. And I hope WWE lets her because look, folks, when stuff happens to your hole, you need to get it taken care of. So yeah, that's what's going on in the world of WWE. So that's it. We broke down SmackDown and Raw. Next week is apparently going to be a huge show because out of nowhere, and I, I mean, the date was set. We knew an elimination chamber was, but man, this thing hit fast forward real quick over the last couple of weeks. So next week on Tuesday in this very spot, you will get the getting over ultimate preview of WWE elimination chamber. As far as the rest of this week goes, you know what's coming. Silver King, one-on-one with Tony Storm ahead of NXT TakeOver Vengeance Day. And we will be here on Thursday to talk all things NXT TakeOver Vengeance Day with a full Ultimate Preview for that show, along with a breakdown of AEW Dynamite. The Tony Storm interview will most likely be on the same episode. So you can expect all of that to come at you on Thursday. I appreciate all of you listening today. Do not forget to follow Vintage Chris Vanini on Twitter, at Chris Vanini. You can follow the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, at Silverstein Adam. But most importantly, follow this show on Twitter, at Getting Overcast. And do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts and drop us that five-star rating and review. So with that, the Silver King, Vintage Chris Vanini, we are saying goodbye. That means there's only one more person to see you on Adam. I thank all of you for listening. I will see you on Thursday. Bye for now.